We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. 1 Samuel 16, and we read in verse 14, it says, But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servants said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful, player on the harp, and it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, and you shall be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide me now a man who can play well, and bring him to me. Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers at Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey loaded with the bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them by his son David to Saul. So David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. Then Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Please let David stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. And so it was, whenever the Spirit from God was upon Saul, that David would take a harp and play it with his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. There's a lot here. Um, as we've gone through First Samuel, we've seen uh, the rise and fall of King Saul. And I think for me, it's been a real tremendous lesson, lesson in my life. Here we see it's come to this point, man. Look what it says again in verse 14. The spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. That's heavy, you guys, isn't that? You know, when we read the Bible about this king that God had anointed, Samuel the prophet, you know, that's not just some little prophet, man. That's, you know, Samuel, a major prophet, anointed Saul. And we even read that he prophesied that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and, and he was angry and he led the children of Israel, the army of Israel, into victory and battle. I mean, God anointed him. There's no doubt about that. I, I think that sometimes we hear studies and people say, you know what, you know, Saul wasn't real. Yes, he was, he was real in the sense that God gave him a genuine opportunity and God, you know, just zapped him with the Holy Spirit. But because of his consistent, persistent, insistent rebellion and disobedience to God, uh, we find him now at this place, you guys, and it's a warning for us. It's a warning for us. The Spirit of the Lord had departed. It's so sad to see it came to this point. The Lord had anointed Saul as the king of Israel. That anointing was symbolic of the person, presence, and power of the Spirit. But we see now that the Lord had departed from him. We see similar things in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 12. 
for Samuel chapter 28, verse 15. And it's real interesting. At the end of his life, he's like, man, you know, God has departed from me. God won't hear my prayer. He's, he left me. And it's just crazy when you read that. How far Saul had drifted from that place back in chapter 11, verse 6, when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. But of course we know, if we've read the Bible, that this isn't the first time we read of something like this happening. We read about Samson, remember in the book of Judges, chapter 16, verse 20, another man and leader in Israel with an anointing and appointing from God. And you guys remember Samson. We all love the story of Samson, huh? Because, man, this guy was strong. He was, he was buff. I mean, he could take the jawbone of a donkey and just, you know, wipe out the army. You know, we watch the cartoons nowadays, you know, those guys that are strong and they do all those things, right? I mean, this was a real life, you know, superhero. God had done a work in Samson's life, right? But what happened is he kept messing around. For Samson, his problem was sexual sin, right? Sexual sin. And what ended up happening? Well, one day he's there and he's messing around with Delilah And it says in the scriptures, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And so he woke from his sleep and said, I'm going to go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. You know, and you read that and some Christians are like, like, boom, right away. Oh, that could never happen to me. Why do you say that? Why do you say that? You know, if we continue to live in disobedience to God, that it can happen to us. This is why David prayed in Psalm 51, verse 11. After his sin with Bathsheba, he said, Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. You see, he prayed that prayer. David saw what happened to Saul and he learned from him. But here in verse 14, to make matters worse for Saul, it wasn't simply that the Lord had departed. Notice again, you guys, what we read in verse 14, the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. It wasn't just that God has split. There was now a distressing spirit. Think about this. That was tormenting him. The NET and the NIV use the word torment. The NLT says the Spirit of the Lord had left Saul and the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. Do you ever get that? Do you ever get that, that, that feeling? Do you ever get that experience? It's that, that experience of depression and fear. This is why so many people commit suicide. And it's just the enemy, John 10.10, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. I mean, it's a crazy thing when you read this whole passage. We read in verse 14 that this distressing spirit is from the Lord, right? And then in verses 15 and 16, we're going to read twice that it's from God. Notice again, verse 15, Saul's servants, they said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from who? From God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is a skillful player on the harp and it will be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you and you shall be well. We see the same thing at the end of our passage and it's, a, it's just a, a, it's kind of a fascinating thing, you know? Why does it seem to emphasize the fact that not only had the Lord departed from him and this is, Probably the anointing. It might mean more than that. But, you know, that 
not only had the Lord departed, but now there is this distressing spirit from God, from God, from God, three times from the Lord. You want to know why? Because even though God is not the author of evil, God allows evil. And right here, he wanted to emphasize the fact that this was his judgment. You know, and I, and I thank God, you guys. We, we have such a gracious God, and he's so forgiving. But whatever you do, don't take that as a license to live, you know, a life of sin. You know, because, I mean, I don't know, maybe you're going to die and go to heaven, but maybe that anointing for whatever it was that God had called you to do as a Christian will no longer be there. Why? Because of oftentimes that persistent disobedience. And it happens in so many ways, not just the sins of commission, but the sins of omission. You know, we really have to have a healthy fear of God and you know, I just really pray, not just, you know, don't go and get high or drunk or have sex. Of course, it means those things. But it's talking about a life of prayer for God, walking with God in the word, hungering after God, serving God with all your heart. You know, when we miss the mark and we just can't take it lightly, there's always got to be that beautiful balance in our life. I pray that you would embrace the grace of God who is here today and man, he's able to forgive you of all your sins. The blood of Jesus Christ will wash away your sins. It will. And it's so cool. But, you know, what ends up happening is the Lord looks at the heart and he knows, you know what, that person right there, they don't really care. And then God begins to deal with them. Now here's the interesting thing, you guys. This is really interesting to me, is that the Lord, He not only departs from Saul, but He sends a distressing spirit, but it's not necessarily so that He can wipe him out. I really believe that this was kind of a, a, a way of God actually wanting to draw Saul back to Him. You know, because it's hard serving the Lord. But it's harder not to, huh? Huh? And if you have a distressing spirit upon you, man, maybe it's time, you know, for us to really, I'm not just talking about uh, kind of, I mean, just like completely open your eyes and surrender to the gospel of Jesus Christ because that distressing spirit will take you to hell. And it's interesting to me that when they come up with a solution, and we'll talk more about it as, as we go, you know, the solution is what? Well, find a man who's skillful in the, in the guitar or harp, whatever you want to say, you know, bring him here, and he's just this anointed, anointed worship leader. Because God wanted to bring him back. I think that's always God's heart. You know, God doesn't glee in your, you know, being executed, God doesn't joy in you not following him. He'll never have that heart. He's always fighting for you, always longing to bring us back to that place, that beautiful place of sweet fellowship with him. And sometimes we're going to get hit hard because he really wants it to be real. God's not the author of evil. He allows it. He's sovereign. And so I guess you could say in an indirect sense, we can word it as we read it here, that this distressing spirit is from God. 
But that just means that it's been filtered through his hands and God will use it for his purposes. William MacDonald put it this way, the expression, a distressing spirit from the Lord, is explained by the fact that what God permits, he is often said to do. And I believe the reason God permitted it and the reason we read it worded in such a way is because of the rebellion of Saul. You know, God's not the author of evil, but he uses tragedies and he even uses enemies. How many of you have an enemy today? You're like, yep, I do. My boss or whatever, you know. (laughs) You know, he's not really your enemy, but you think he is. Whoever it is, that one person or two people, or maybe you just know someone's coming against you, God will use those tragedies and those enemies for his purposes, right? Remember the Lord used the Assyrians of all people to punish the northern kingdom of Israel. They were ruthless, man. They would come into the country. They would, man, cut, cut a limb off. You know, just want to cut off your arm right here, gouge out an eye or something, put a hook in your mouth and take you into captivity. You're like, how could God use such wicked people like the Assyrians, later the Babylonians for the southern kingdom? Well, because God wants to get their attention, right? And that's what we see here. I really believe is happening. It happens all the time, you guys. You know, one of the things I want to mention here in looking at this distressing spirit that comes upon Saul is that, you know, we as Christians, we don't believe that a Christian can be possessed by demons. If you're not a Christian, you can. But if you're a Christian, we don't believe that. We at Calvary Chapel teach that a Christian is possessed by God. <laughs> But you can be harassed and stressed and oppressed and lied to and tempted and opposed and all that goes along with that spiritual warfare, but but not possessed. The reason being we're the temple of God, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, and he's not about to be roommates with the enemy, right? And so what's going on here with Saul? Well, maybe we could compare it to what took place in the book of Job. Remember, the sons of God came and appeared before God, and God you know, was talking to Satan, where you been? I've been cruising up and down the earth. Have you seen my servant Job? Now, in that case, we know it was a good thing that Job was involved in. Here we see it was a bad thing that Saul was involved in, but still we see that God is there on the throne. The enemy is working actually for God. Right here we read in verse 14 that the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. The word distressing, it speaks of bad, evil, wicked. The word troubled, it means to overwhelm and terrify. And so as a result of this whole thing, um, this was their counsel in verse 15. Saul's servants, they said to him, surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. They got that right. And so they said, let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is a skillful player on the harp. And it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you and you shall be well. And so their diagnosis was right. They knew it was uh, this spiritual warfare, but their counsel was incomplete. It was it was pretty good, but not completely good. And we're going to see this as we go through our, our study today. How many of you guys like music? Do you like music? Music's powerful, huh? Do you guys dance? 
You're like, no, it makes you move sometimes, man. Even me, even though I can't, I've got two left feet, you know. And it's powerful, right? I'm sure we all know the power of music now, and so did they back then. Kyle and Delich, they said, the powerful influence exerted by music upon the state of the mind was well known even in the earliest times, so that the wise men of ancient Greece recommended music to soothe the passions, to heal mental diseases, and even to check tumults among the people. We all know the blessing and the power of music, the soft music, huh? the soothing music, and even for us, spiritual music for the soul. And it's a good thing. I don't know if you guys ever try it. You know, you're stressed out, you're freaking out. You know, what I would encourage you at your house, play praise music. Just play it, man. That's why... You know, I like to, you know, these different gadgets, you know, little things you can put your phone into or whatever, Apple TV. I love to hear praise music going throughout the house. There's something about that, right? But we see in the end here that this was not, you know, the total answer to the total problem. It was just, you know, part of the answer. God would want to minister to Saul. And God would bring David. I mean, that's like, you know, Chris Tomlin multiplied 100,000 times, man. I mean, you know, David, God would bring David, but did, did everything turn out good? No, because there, there was more counsel that needed to be communicated to Saul. It wasn't just some musical, mystical medication that Saul needed. It wasn't enough to have the gifted hand of David's harp, even though he was probably the greatest worship songwriter of all time, that wouldn't be enough. You know, we can all come near to church and be blessed in worship, lifting our hands to the Lord and and walk away feeling a bit better, maybe even a lot better for a time. You know, and I do encourage you, come and, and, and worship because it is an opportunity and it was an opportunity for Saul. I do encourage you, come prepared and let this worship experience be what God intends it to be. Let it just fall deep within your heart. But it can't just be here, right? It's got to be more as you guys go away and you live the life. In order for any of us to be right with the Lord, it can't happen just on the coattails of someone else. No, it can't. It's got to be something that God works in your own heart. You see, in dealing with the enemy, it's not mystical and it's not magical and it's not just musical. It's personal and it's spiritual. And I'm sure worship would help and was probably a golden opportunity for Saul to get right. But ultimately, Saul refused to repent. That was, that's the bottom line. You know, and, and whatever the sins are in our life, Whatever they are, find out what they are. If you don't know what they are, you're in big trouble, man. I mean, because the Christian life is pretty much a life of constantly repenting of our sins. God shows us what it is and we repent. For some men, it's got a grip. It's like a vice grip. I mean, it just breaks your heart to see these people addicted to crystal meth, right? Forever, man. Or heroin, pornography, I mean, you know, some, and we can just go on and on and on with the different things, the covetousness, the lying, the laziness, the wickedness, the greediness. But whatever it is, you know, we always have to search our heart. For Saul, 
That's what they needed to tell him. Not just, hey, go get a Chris Tomlin CD or, you know what, let's hire Matt Redman for worship today. You know, although that's cool and I would, that'd be pretty cool, huh, if Stephen Chris Chapman was here. Chris Tomlin, Matt Redman. But, but what did he need to hear from his friends, from his servants, from the people that were surrounding him? Saul, King Saul, I love you, man. I love you. You need to get your life right with God. That's what you really need to do. And then God will use David. And your life will be so awesome, man. And, you know, maybe you won't hear that from your friend. Because a lot of times our friends are just, they're just, they're, they're, they're not really friends. Because the Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. You know, some people, they'll, they'll rebuke you and they don't really care about you. But some, they really care about you. They love you. They love you. And they'll tell you, you know what? Man, you know, there's something going on in your life. I, I want to pray with you. It's hard to do, but the Bible says that in Proverbs 27, 6. It's very important to have a friend like that. Unfortunately, they were not there. They only gave him half a truth. Now, in looking at what happened to Saul, there are some who say that this was just a mental thing, that God struck him with mental illness. The reason they say that is because they struggle with the concept of God allowing the demonic realm to do such a thing to a person. But we know at times God does allow it. You know, how can it say that God, you know, this distressing spirit is from God? Oh, no, it can't be. It's just a mental illness. But if you just think it's a mental illness, if that's all it is, then all you need is medication, right? If there's more to it, and that's a lot of times that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants you to think it's not really a spiritual matter, and it is a spiritual matter, and sometimes it's a demonic matter. Where the enemy has come in and he's got a foothold, he's got a, you know, a stranglehold. And it's time, you know, to fast. It's time to to pray all night. It's time to really put your armor on and, you know, memorize Ephesians 6, 10 through 20 and then live it out. I mean, he would love for you to think that he's not real. He would love for us to be ignorant of his devices. Because then what do we do? Well, if it's not a spiritual matter, then we we fight it with carnal weapons. But the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Some people say, oh, it's just a a mental thing. No, it was a spiritual thing. It was a distressing spirit. There's another time we read in the Bible of God sending a a spirit of ill will over in 1 Kings chapter 22. We read of of a lying spirit there in 1 Kings chapter 22. And then in Judges chapter 9 verse 23, God sent a spirit of ill will between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. And so God has done this. God can do this. And again, it's all for God's purposes. It's not just mental illness. There's more to this. It's a spiritual battle. And that's why, you know, and the one thing, and I know there's a lot of things going on in our life. We really, you know, I want to encourage you guys, and I talk to myself when I say this about, you know, having my devotional life right and my time reading and praying with my wife and with my children and being an example to them, trying so hard to be an example to them. 
You know, but if there's one thing or maybe two things I could say is this in the word and in prayer, in the word and in prayer, please. Because it's a spiritual battle that we're in. And a lot of times we don't realize it. We don't realize it. And, and the enemy just does his thing. Unfortunately, their counsel was incomplete. Saul needed a new heart. <laughs> and all they fought for was for him and this evil spirit to depart. You know, it's not identical, but we read from Jesus in Luke chapter 11. Let's turn there real quick, you guys. To Luke chapter 11. Notice in verse 24, it says, When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finding none. And he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Now, I know it's not the identical situation, but I think there's some similarities here. Because we're going to see as we go through this whole thing that when David played, the evil spirit left, huh? The evil spirit departed. But that's not enough, right? That wasn't enough. And the Lord right here, he gives his parable and he says, listen, and this is a case of demon possession, Okay, sometimes we think that if we are going to overcome someone who's demon-possessed, that we need to, you know, make them accept the Lord. And it's true, but it doesn't always work that way. When you read the Gospels, you see Jesus casting out demons. They didn't say the sinner's prayer, but with the finger of God, not his hand, not his fist, not his bicep, not a kick, with the finger of God, he cast out the demons. But see, now there's this emptiness. Now there's this void, and now is the opportunity to flood your heart and fill your heart with all that God is. God wants to live in you. God wants to dominate you. God wants to bless you. And I think we all have as much of God as we want. If you really want the Lord, if you really want the Lord just to to flood your life, man, then you'll have him. But we need to be motivated by that understanding. It can't just be, you know, the distressing spirit goes away. No, now's the opportunity for us to fill our hearts with God's love. And so as we read through right here, we see that they gave him this opportunity. But unfortunately, Saul did not take it. His friends, his servants, they counseled him to get a musician Saul thought it was good counsel. And so we read in verse 17, back in 1 Samuel, that Saul said to his servants, Okay, provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. And then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person. And the Lord is with him. The Lord is what? With him. Do you guys see the contrast? Here is one individual, you know, one individual, and the Lord has departed. Here's another individual, and what? And the Lord is with him. 
There's that contrast. And there is that, that really the, the two camps, I think, that, that we can be in today. In all honesty, you know, where, where are you in your relationship with God? Can you honestly say that God is with you, that God is on you, that God is dominating your life, that God is in control? Or have you distanced yourself from God? Here we see the issues. And we find that Saul commands his men to find a skilled musician, someone who can play in order to soothe his soul. And so one of the servants says, and in the Hebrew language he was a young guy, he says, I know the perfect guy. He's got everything necessary to stand before the king. Listen to these six things that David has. Number one, skillful in playing. Skillful and plain. Number two, a mighty man of valor. A mighty man of valor. Number three, he was a man of war. A man of war. Number four, prudent in speech. Prudent in speech. Number five, he was a handsome person. And then number six, it says the Lord was with him. Now more than likely, David as a man of valor and a man of war refers to his ability and not his experience. Because we're going to see, it's not until chapter 17 where he slays Goliath, right? But here we see that the word had traveled that he had killed lions and bears. And we're going to see David is pretty amazing. I just want to touch on these things real quick. David was skillful in playing. You know, and you could look at the musician and you can say, well, it's a gift that he had and, you know, that's why he excelled. But I want to encourage you to, you know, know your gift and to cultivate that gift. We know that the musical ability is a gift that some have, but it's also a gift that should be cultivated. Musicians should practice those skills and refine those skills for the glory of God. Apparently, this was something that David did. Psalm 33, verse 3, it says, Sing to him a new song, play skillfully with a shout of joy. We know in First Chronicles fifteen twenty two that the leader, this guy Chenaiah, he was the leader because he was skillful. And so if you're a musician, cultivate that gift, but that goes for all of us here. You know, this last Wednesday, it was cool. I got to share with the youth about, you know, some of the Olympians, you know. And, and I was talking to them uh, different things. Like we talked, for example, about Michael Phelps. Okay, Michael Phelps. You know, how, how many medals did he end up with? Like 22 medals or something like that? I mean, and so I was asking them a couple of questions. Number one, can anybody do that? Can anybody do what Michael Phelps did as far as winning that 22 medals? And the answer is probably not. He was probably gifted, huh? From what I understand, his whole body frame, everything about him was just like ideal for a swimmer. So there's an element of giftedness but at the same time, this guy, and I know he messed up, and I'm not exalting him, but I'm using him as an example. He worked so hard for a perishable crown. And what we see in 1 Corinthians 9 is, you know, Paul says, man, we should be working harder for our imperishable crown. And so I was telling the youth, I said, man, you know, God made you for a reason. And you all have talents and gifts that are unique for you. And I encourage you, you're not too young to find out what those gifts and talents are and develop them. 
and then deploy them for the glory of God. But I think a lot of times we Christians, we're not willing to work hard. We're not willing to discipline ourselves. And so I think David, as a skillful harpist, I just think that he disciplined himself and I think he worked hard to come to that place. And God honored that. Secondly, we see he was a mighty man of valor. He was a strong man. He was a brave man. The Hebrew word right here for valor, it's usually translated war. The dictionary defines valor as courage and boldness and battle and bravery. And I want to encourage you in this war to be brave, to be a man of war. Literally, the word means a man of battle. As I mentioned earlier, this is probably in reference to the way David defeated both lions and bears. You know, it also might mean, and I was thinking, well, how did they know that David was such a good, you know, soldier? Did you guys ever have those guys that would get in fights at school and you kind of found out they're good fighters, man? It wasn't always they were starting the fights. Sometimes they were protecting themselves or protecting others. I remember when I was in high school, West Covina High School, a long time ago, man. I remember this guy, Jeff Kidwell, really, really cool guy. He was, he was broad, but he wasn't tall. I think he was probably about as tall as me, but, but I remember this guy was so cool that literally he would protect people when they were getting picked on. It was cool. So one day, I remember this big guy, Dean, I forgot his last name, okay? Uh, just in case he gets saved, I probably shouldn't say it anyways, man. But I remember this big guy came up to him and just Boom, he hit him, like just boom, man, didn't even give him a a warning or anything. But I remember Jeff Kidwell got back up and he took care of business, man. And I just, and then, you know, you just, you know, that's, I don't know how they knew. They knew somehow David, even though, and it's interesting when you read the commentaries, this guy who's so artistic, (laughs) he wrote like 78 Psalms, you know, there he is on the harp. Right? Next thing you know, he's fighting. It's kind of an interesting combination, huh? But we find is that David right here has these qualities that are so cool. It says he was a handsome person. Nothing wrong with that as long as it doesn't become the focus, right? Sometimes, man, when you look at an individual and they don't need like the fancy, you know, clothes or ties or makeup. Sometimes it's just that natural beauty, huh? That natural, I don't know, way of God creating us. I think that's where David was. And it says in the last thing and the most important thing is that the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. And this is a continual theme in David's life. You read it again in 1 Samuel chapter 18 verse 12. And then again in 2 Samuel chapter 5 verse 10 and chapter 7 verses 8 through 9. And we know this is the core theme of all who have been used by God in a mighty way. Genesis 21:22 was Abraham's testimony that God was with him. Genesis 26, verse 3 was Isaac's testimony that God was with him. Genesis 28, verse 15, it was Jacob's testimony that God was with him. Genesis 39, verse 2, God was with Joseph. Exodus 3:12, God was with Moses. Joshua 6.27, God was with Joshua. And then 1 Samuel 3.19, God was with Samuel. Prayerfully, this will be your testimony as well. 
You know, I know as Christians we have that amazing promise from Jesus in Matthew 28:20 when he said, "Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age." You know, and as the Lord is with you, and as he promises to be with you if you're a Christian, always, always to the end of the age. I pray that we wouldn't take that lightly. I pray that we would embrace this presence, this person, this power of God in our life. Not like, not like Saul, but like David. I think there's a message there for us, you guys. Never forget the Lord is with you. Never forget that. Because I'll tell you what, when you understand the Lord is with you, even though we find ourselves struggling at times, but our heart is wanting to do the right thing, when we look deeper, you know, the Lord said, I'll be with you. We read this whole thing and we see this clear contest, trust between Saul and David. And, I, and like I said earlier, I think it's a clear contrast we oftentimes see in the church. You know, I would do you a huge disservice if I didn't admonish you to learn from the life of Saul, to be warned from his life how the Spirit of God left him. You know, we read that passage in the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, verse 12. It says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. And so I guess in the end, when you really look at this, and what we need to do always whenever we're studying the Bible, is we need to take it within the context of the Bible. And in the end, what we find, it wasn't really God who left Saul. It was really Saul who left God. And that's where we need to understand. And that's why I just want to encourage you and I want to warn you. Don't be satisfied with religion. Don't be satisfied with the superficial type of commitment. Man, I want to encourage you to draw near to God. Never, never, never leave. I've told you guys before, you know, love God like I love God. We got to love God this much, right? Where nothing comes between us, man. Nothing. Nothing comes between me and my Lord. That's the life that we have to live. You see, David was a perfect man for the job. And so we read here again in verse 19, Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, and there he is again, so faithful, huh, who is with the sheep. And so Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, a young goat, sent them by his son David to Saul as a gift. And so David came to Saul and stood before him. Notice right here it says he loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. I mean, you know, David was, was amazing, huh? And Saul saw it instantly. And when you read this right here, and then you know the whole story, it kind of breaks your heart. I mean, here we read that he loved him greatly. He became his armor bearer. Then Saul sent to Jesse and he said, Please let David stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. And so it was, whenever the Spirit from God was upon Saul, that David would take a harp and play it with his hand. And then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. Even though 
Saul didn't take advantage of it, we can't underestimate, we can't, you know, dismiss the power of worship. And, you know, I want to encourage you guys um, to know that. You know, the Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. You know, and people might think you're weird, but, but I want to encourage you, when you're on the freeway and you're driving your car, put your praise music in and just start singing loud, you know. Start worshiping the Lord. I love, I, I'll, I'll love, I love to hear my wife praising the Lord, singing loud. There's power in this. Here we see the demons left. I remember that story in Second Kings chapter 3 when they wanted Elisha to give a word because there were three nations, you know, Edom and the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. They thought they were all, you know, going to die. And so, hey, we need a word from the Lord. And Elisha, even Elisha, the great prophet Elisha, who had a double portion of the spirit, you know what he said? He said, bring me a musician. And when that musician started to play, all of a sudden the word of the Lord came to him. And so there's a lot of lessons, a lot of practical lessons. But get rid of the ACDC, man. Get rid of the devil music. I want to encourage you, man, to worship the Lord with praise music. That's always been Calvary Chapel's emphasis. And that's part of the reason why we worship the Lord before we start our studies, man. It's not so we give you a cushion, so, okay, uh, I've got an extra, you know, 15 minutes. I want to encourage you and, and myself, you know, even though I'm here for three services on Sunday and usually I'll sit in the second and third service, but do your best. Don't be condemned. But do your best to get here on time. And during that time of praise and worship, just lift up your heart to the Lord. How awesome the music ministry is. It can dispel distressing and tormenting demons. But here's the thing, you guys. We need to take it further. We need to take it in. Not just with our lips, but our lives. Not just in harmonies, but hearts. Not just the worship leader, but all of us who are led. Let's make sure, like, not, not like Saul. We can't be like Saul. Let's not let all these opportunities pass us by. Let's learn these lessons, you guys. I pray that you would love the Lord. I know there's a, so many things going on in your life, but right now, man, that you would be closer to God than you have ever been in your life. And whatever it is that's getting in the way, whatever it is, man, just give it to the Lord. Surrender it to the Lord. It doesn't belong in the way with you and your relationship with God. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for just allowing us to study the life of Saul. And now as you begin to study the life of David, a lot of lessons I know for me. Lord, I know it's a spiritual battle. I need to pray.